You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for downloading this very special episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. I will keep this intro short because I know you're here to listen to Warren Gatland and not to me. Uh, We were so excited to get Warren on the podcast and it was absolutely brilliant to chat to him. Some amazing insights, brilliant stories and anecdotes as well. So yeah, when Dan and I started this podcast back in the autumn of 2016, I don't think we ever would have dreamt that we'd have uh, been able to speak directly to to Gatland so yeah just uh, absolutely brilliant experience Uh, if you want to hear more from Warren then make sure you get your tickets uh, for an evening with Warren Gatland which is coming to a series of theatres in Wales in November Uh, it's coming to the Swansea Grand on the 6th of November the Aberystwyth Arts Centre on the 8th Venue Cymru in Llandudno on the 14th and St David's Hall, Cardiff on the 16th. And if you want any more details, uh, obviously you can either uh, search on Google for an evening with Warren Gatland or you can head over to our Twitter account where we've got the the link on there so you can buy tickets directly um, by clicking on that link. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy our exclusive chat with Warren Gatland. Delighted to say this is a very, very special episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast, joined by none other than the uh, the Wales coaching legend that is Warren Gatland. Warren, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks, Jed and uh, Dan. Nice to um, nice to be here with you guys. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And, and Dan actually hasn't been on the show for months, so uh, you know it takes it takes something to get Dan out of bed for this. It, all it, all it takes is. Uh, Wales' is most successful ever head coach, and uh, and he's, he's finally dragged himself out of retirement for us. So uh, yeah, that's another one to add to your uh, to your list of achievements there. Uh, while we're talking about achievements, actually, that's that's kind of where I wanted to where I wanted to start. Really, is you know four Six Nations titles, three Grand Slams, two Rugby World Cup semi finals. Are you able to look at one of those as your as your most cherished achievement as Wales head coach? Oh, they're all pretty pretty special, and that you know, like um, I think two thousand eight when you arrive when you win the Grand Slam is kind of a bit of a 
uh, it's a bit surreal and so you know first time to win in Twickenham for 20 years and and to do that um, yeah that was pretty special and then 219 um, yeah, sort of building on that and sort of going to the World Cup and yeah I don't look I don't kind of I look back on some stuff and probably for me that the, the one I showed the most emotion and was the 215 when we beat uh, England and Twickenham you know we kind of decimated with injuries and stuff and shifting the back line around and coming back from just staying in the fight and Dan Biggers kicking goals from halfway and um, it was a pull of death and, um, you know, we got out of there. So I was kind of pretty emotional afterwards. So that was that was pretty special, you know, particularly when uh, the head of World Rugby had come out and said it would be a shame if the host didn't make the quarterfinals. So a bit of pressure as well. So, um yeah, lots of great memories and and yeah, but that one and two fifteens, you know, a little bit different and and pretty special. Yeah, I was really keen to talk to you about the World Cups actually, and obviously we're just under away from uh, just under a year away from the next Rugby World Cup. I, how do you kind of how do you look back at your at your time in charge of of all of those all of those three campaigns? Yeah, I think like you know, in two thousand and eleven, it was the um, kind of when I sort of. Arrived in, in end of 2007 and then the Six Nations in 2008. Well, there was still, it was still, um, you know, the sort of the amateur days, even though they sort of finished in 1995, it was guys that sort of come through and have been part of that that sort of era and, and things. And I suppose it was the first real, um, for me, Players coming through with real professionalism, you know, the, the Sam Wilburton's, George Norths, um, the half pennies, those sorts of players that kind of um, they re- they really took that on board. And so, and in, in, in 2011, we had sort of a, a real mixture of some real youngsters that were coming through and some experience. And um, I thought we played some great rugby in New Zealand, and obviously. You know, we know that, that semi-final against France with the sending off and stuff, and you know that, that was that was tough. And then two fifteen, um, you know, getting through the quarterfinals and then um, leading against South Africa, um, and there seemed to be that bit of a nemesis in the World Cup, and then being beaten, you know, sort of them scoring a try in the last few minutes, and and same again with um, you know two nineteen, then you know kicking a kicking a goal late on to win and then to go on to win the World Cup. So, yeah, really proud of what we kind of uh, achieved over that period, you know, particularly um, the, the hard thing and challenging thing is that as the tournament went on, you know, probably I'm not sure how we would have got on in 2015 um, given the amount of injuries that we had. Uh, 2011, we were in pretty good shape, Um um, if we'd got through, got past pra- France, everyone says, oh, I think you might have won the World Cup. I don't know about that, but, um, you know, England had played there. Sorry, um, New Zealand had probably played their uh, final against South Africa in the semi final. They'd beaten France, come to be in pool stages, so probably weren't quite at the same emotional level um, that you might have expected them to be for a World Cup final. And then, and then in two nineteen, um, you know, that went down to the to the wire as well. So um, yeah, great memories and really proud of what we achieved and how close we got. Warren uh, Warby's red card is perhaps the most memorable 
image of the 2011 campaign. Can I ask what was going through your mind when that happened? I didn't. I didn't, had not realised that a red card had been given because it was just so quick. You know, you'd seen the tackle and you're going, okay, yeah. Um, and sort of sitting in the box, and I was being red carded. You know, so I, I, I hadn't seen it. it was just that's how quick it had been. And I look back on it and going, you know, there's few million people, a couple of billion people watching this game around the world and uh, and I just thought it was a little bit hasty in terms of the reaction. Um, there was no malice in it. Yeah, he's, he's gone to tackle. Um, the French players sort of jumped into it and sort of fallen backwards and um, I just thought, you know, a yellow card might have been, look, under the rules, you know, red card was... You could understand that, but probably given the significance of the game and how many people were watching, and um, you know, probably maybe a yellow card was a was a would have been would have been fair. I got up uh, when I realised it was a red card, um, kicked the table over behind me, and thought uh, that's it. We're going to lose by you know thirty points, which you kind of expect when you're down to fourteen men after seventeen minutes and playing international and. And we hung in there, you know, just kept there. And Mike Phillips has scored a great try. Steve Stephen Jones is probably a kick he, he should have kicked. I look back on that and think, you know, has he rushed that a little bit? Um, you know, not, not kicking the conversion. And then, um, you know, right on full time, we have another chance. And Lee Halfpenny's kick just drops under the bar. So, yeah, um, a, re- a real, um, a real, real tough and, and, and challenging. And, um, but I thought we were. I thought the way that we played in, in 2011 and conducted ourselves and prepared for that World Cup was outstanding, and the, and the players were brilliant, and the support we had from the New Zealand public was absolutely outstanding. Even the next day when we went for the hearing after Sam's um, sending off, and we were walking down sort of a um, couple of streets and. In Auckland, and people recognised us and stood up, at, you know, outside of restaurants and gave us a standing sort of ovation and, and clapped the hands. So it was, it was pretty, it was pretty special. And but, yeah, I kind of, I think all of us look back and you know look at what could have could have been and what might have happened. Yeah, I think I, I think that's fair to say. And it's really interesting hearing those emotions that you were going through. I mean, obviously tenfold what we were going through as fans, but. Uh, I'm fairly certain I kicked a table over at home as well. <laughs> You're right about it happening so quickly. You know, it, it flashed up on the screen. Nick Mullins, I think, was commentating on it, and he was shocked that it was a red card. You know, it, it kind of like no one, no one seemed to see the card come out. It was just when you saw Sam sat on the sat on the bench with the jacket done up, and the caption came up that it all kind of um, that it all it all sunk home. But it's always fascinating to hear these hear these moments that kind of we've gone through as yeah as that you know that you've gone through as yeah as 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 a as a, as a set of you know as a team well, as a job yeah yeah and you kind of and you look back and you think you know even the last few minutes of the game we have a line out near 22 and Jamie Roberts makes a great break and you just sit you're sitting in the box going Stephen get back in the pocket and take the drop goal and you know I'm just sitting there going and we played through 11 phases or 12 phases in the 22, and Stephen's the one who ends up sort of knocking the ball on or losing the ball in contact. And I'm just thinking, you know, Jamie Roberts has made an unbelievable break, got sort of 10, 15 minute metres from their goal line. 
in front of the post. And while we haven't taken the drop goal, I've, I've still to this day uh, don't know. But, you know, sometimes you know, maybe it's not going through his head and he's not thinking about it. I, I, look, I don't know. But uh, there was an, that, that, was a, that was a big opportunity for us as well. You didn't you didn't mention it in 2019 when he was part of your coaching staff then. <laughs> I, uh, I know I know Neil Jenkins is the one who's uh, he's the one who's he, he brings it up every now and again, you know, as an ex out half because he thinks, you know, those are the moments that you live for as an out half, you know, doing it. And so but it's it's amazing how people uh respond under pressure and stuff, and it might not have been just going through his head, you know, just thinking about it and um, but you know those those are, those are things that happen. Yeah, and, and let's let's fast forward to 2015 because you mentioned it there and um, that win at Twickenham with a decimated backline. You know, it was one of the craziest games of rugby I've ever watched, and it almost felt like it was very uh, like the calmness that the players had out on the pitch. Uh, it felt like it felt like it wasn't a particularly Welsh thing. Do you know what I mean? Like it felt like we were kind of we've got this this thing of um, you know kind of flirting with success and then romantically romantically not getting there. But that occasion, it just felt like like nothing was gonna was gonna deny deny the victory again. Was was that kind of going through your head, or was it just in the in the uh, in the coaching box? Was it just out and out chaos? Yeah, I just think again we just we were staying and. Um... One of the things that we, we'd worked hard over the years and pride ourselves on just, just how hard we trained and how hard we prepared and how fit the players were. And that gave us a massive amount of confidence just knowing that we were in good shape and we weren't going to go away. We weren't going to be – someone wasn't going to run over the top of us with 20 minutes to go and we were going to capitulate. We were just – you know, we'd worked hard. We had a fantastic um, S&C team. They'd work the players hard. Uh, I think the relationship between the coaches and the strength and conditioning was kind of was really one of the things that made um, was a big part of our success in terms of they were as as important or more important sometimes than the coaches were because you know we had to make sure that we were in the right sort of physical shape and the the discussions and the um, between the S and C and and you know particularly someone like Paul Stridgen and 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 um Craig White when he's the Adam Beard, um, you know, those guys they, that that the discussion in terms of how important making sure that we trained with the right intensity and got ourselves in the right shape was was incredibly important. So yeah, I think the players had they had a lot of confidence in how well they were prepared from a conditioning side of things and and I think mentally we were tough, and, and that made us mentally tougher as well because of how hard we'd worked. And um, one thing about the Welsh boys is that they they never mind training hard. They 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 they'll run through a brick wall for you. You know, you say to them, you know, I want you to run through their brick wall, and it's not, you know, it's well, what what do you want us to do when we get through the other side, sort of thing. That's a that's that's how they are. They a lot of them um, often. I wouldn't say we show massive amounts of, sort of, of great leadership in terms of wanting to do things, but you ask them to to front up and do something from a physical point of view, and, and they're absolutely outstanding from that point of view. Never complain and just get on and do it. And, and you know, we'd worked um, probably for you know for a number of years. Those youngsters that had come into the Welsh Welsh camp that they'd often say, "Oh, we heard how hard it was and how tough it was," but 
until that experience that they never realised that that was the case. But it gave us a lot of confidence and put us in great shape. Well, in 2019 was a brutal campaign for Wales. We topped Pool, made the semis and came within a whisker of the final. Do you think that was the best team you assembled in your time with Wales? I, I think it was kind of that um, sort of 2018-2019. One of the things that I think is always a challenge when you're with um, you know, some of the smaller nations and, and fairness to Ireland, they've got things right, but it's how do you, how do you build depth in, in, in the squad and kind of in those last couple of years we started to build some real depth in the squad. It was a real shame that we'd lost um, Gareth Enskin because, um, you know, sometimes the the challenge for us is is having a, we'd have a good 15 and then it, it, it's the bench and how how strong they had, they are. But we kind of almost flipped it over to the other side. We had, we started having a bench that was really strong and then we were starting to, um, initially with Gareth Anscombe and then Dan Bigger was coming off the bench and being really solid and finishing ga- games on. I mean, strong defensively, and uh, we had a couple, of, you know, the good nines, and um, we had um, players in, in, in the front row. Elliot D was brilliant as a as work rate and, and defending and his, his calmness and line out throwing and stuff. So we had this. I, I think we kind of just fell into it a little bit, but. but I think it was a part of probably going back to 2018. We took a young squad to Argentina and won two tests and leaving a lot of players behind, a lot of experienced players, and that really developed some depth for us. And the um, uh, Six Nations in 2019, and we kind of replicated the first couple of games against France and Italy as, as part of what was going to be happening in the World Cup and taking 31 players away with us for the for the first two games of that Six Nations and playing away from home. And so that was, I think, made us, um, you know, pretty strong in terms of being a lot more resilient with, with the depth that we had in the squad. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, um, again, you know, we end up with you know, South Africa in that, in that semi-final. You know, France was tough in the... And the quarters as well. When you how tough they were going to be, they always they always tough for in World Cups, and that's why they'll be so hard to beat uh, next year in the World Cup because um, they, when they're together for three months, are a lot fitter than they normally are in the Six Nations. And and uh, and again, you know that game, we you know, we had that sort of philosophy and, and mindset to stay in the fight, stay in the fight. We we're not the sort of team that. We're able to. We're not. We weren't going to win by twenty or thirty points. We just didn't have the firepower to do that. But we weren't going to go away and we'd stay in the, in the battle and we were capable of winning games and, and and grinding out games. And because of the condition that we we're in and 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 because of the confidence that we played with it too. Yeah, absolutely. And and obviously, in between those in between those campaigns, you've been the boss for three Lions tours, coached on another one. Uh, had to deal with a hostile New Zealand media and even more hostile Irish media. Um, COVID affected tour. What what kept you coming back for more uh, on those Lions tours? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of like um, you walk away from a guy. I'm not going to do this again. It's it's, it's too tough. It's uh, yeah, the criticism, the the challenges. But then you you reflect back and go, 
just how magnificent the Lions is as a as a concept. It's the last team that tours traditional tours. You're bringing players together from four nations, um, and there's a lot of the traditions. You know, unfortunately, the last tour with COVID, we were we able to do a lot of things that we normally do. It doesn't get highlighted the amount of community stuff that the Lions, you know, do in terms of going to rugby clubs and hospitals and visits and schools and open training sessions. No, no other team does that sort of thing. And um, yeah, we weren't unfortunately able to do that in the last tour, but you kind of get caught up in it. And I walk away and think I'm not doing this again. And then you, and then you become you forget about some of the dark, the dark days and you realise just how special it is, you know, in terms of a concept and wanting to protect it and wanting to make sure that it goes ahead. And I think probably what I've learned in the last couple of tours with, with New Zealand and, and South Africa is that um, it's probably, and this is a reflection and I think uh, great about the Lions, is that if you go back to 2005 when, you know, that wasn't a great tour and everyone was talking about where the Lions and the professional era are going to continue. But now it's almost like it's become more important for the Southern Hemisphere to be the Lions and this for the Lions to win. That's how desperate they are. And using any means possible in terms of, you know, some of the media stuff and and things that um, – so, yeah, I think that's brilliant for the Lions going forward and it's something that we need to make sure that we, we continue to keep in the, in the calendar and – if you talk about the interest in 2025 for uh, the amount of people that are interested in going to Australia, it's a great country to tour. It's, um, yeah, it's phenomenal. And, um, you know, hopefully we can, the Lions can continue to um, thrive as a, as a, as a touring team and also continue to be successful because it's, you know, it's, it's a great um, part of the calendar. And I can remember back uh, after 2017, they did a, survey in New Zealand about, you know, what are the most important things in world rugby and, and came back. One was, obviously, the first one was the World Cup and we were thinking, you know, is it going to be the, the rugby championship of the Six Nations and, and New Zealand public voted. The second one was the Lions. You know, they, they loved it as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully long may it continue. Fancy one more crack? Oh, I don't think so. I think, uh, look, that... that I keep saying I wasn't going to do it again and that you get an opportunity to do that. Um, you know, there's definitely one clear favourite at the moment, isn't it? You know, the, the, the guy coaching Ireland, you know, he's done a pretty good job and, and, and Andy, he's been on a couple of, well, one tour and you know, probably should have been on the last one as well, but uh, unfortunately wasn't uh, made available to to go on that on that last tour. Um, and, you know, at the moment, if they if Ireland continue to be successful, then, you know, you can see him um, stepping up to do the job. But it's a long time. Uh, you know, there's a lot of water under the bridge until that, you know, it depends what happens over the next uh, year or two. And, you know, Ireland have got a tough World Cup uh, draw in terms of, you know, potentially quarterfinals, you know, it could be South Africa and New Zealand. That's going to be tough to get past that as well. So, um, you know, they're, they're the biggest thing in the next focus in the next 12 months is, Trying to make a World Cup semi-final as a starting point, and obviously you work with a, you know you work with a huge amount of different players and characters during those tours. And I saw um, Ian McGeekin said that like the the best Lions tourist that he worked with was Jason Leonard. Not so much just down to his ability, but his um, 
his character and the fact that, you know, when he missed out on that first test in, in 97, he rallied the troops and was a real kind of positive force. And that was why he, you know, he said he was his greatest lion. Do you have anyone that, that you've worked with that you, you know, that you consider to be the greatest in terms of that, that lion spirit rather than just stability? Um, I, I wouldn't say that I could pick any individually. I, 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 I know that story and, and, and um, Ian has spoken about that on a, on a number of occasions. And I definitely, that first year in 2009, I learned a lot from him in terms of um, the Lions isn't about getting things right on the field. It's sometimes more important to get things right off the field, you know, and how, and how you do that and bring those players together. So my philosophy was always about you pick a Lions team and it doesn't always help preparation, but in terms of bringing the squad together. So one of the things I'd say to the squad is that um, everyone will get a start in the first three games. So I kind of, I look at that and as an ex-player, I would have thought if the coach told me I knew I was going to start, not on the bench, not on the 23, but I was going to start, I'd go, you know, I'm happy with that. Uh, it gives me a chance to put myself in the shop window. And if I play well and the team plays well, then maybe I'm kind of put myself into contention for a, you know, test spot or, you know, being part of a test squad. So, um, and I think that, that those are kind of things that he was talking about, you know, someone like Jason, um, you know, having an opportunity, but how important it was to be part of that, you know, part of the part of the group. And I know a lot was made about the Brian O'Driscoll selection and the amount of criticism over that. I've got a huge amount of respect for Brian um, not because of um, having, you know, I was the coach who had his first international cap for Ireland and then was the first coach to actually drop him. But it was the way that he responded to that. And I heard the story secondhand, not from not from Brian, but from the analysts or one of the analysts on there. It was in the, in the lift with Brian after we had announced a team, after we'd spoken to him that he wasn't part of the squad and part of the 23. And, he got, in the, he got in the lift and he said, oh, I've talked the talk, now I've got to walk the walk. And what he meant by that was that he'd been a captain of the Lions, he'd been a captain of Ireland, he'd never been dropped um, when he'd been fit and available, but he was the guy who'd often been delivering the message to the rest of the squad, um, if you missed out and weren't selected, you, we expect you to be disappointed, but now you've got another role. You, your role for the rest of the week is to do whatever it takes and whatever you can do to help this team prepare to for us to perform and get a result and get a performance, give a performance um, on the weekend and and hopefully win. And you know he did that. And there were a lot of players that probably um being in that situation of being sort of superstars in their roles, you know, that that sort of thing happens to them and they throw their toys out the out of the cotton and um um you know the, the bottom lip drops. But the way that he conducted himself was absolutely superb. And you know, that's why I've got an enormous amount of respect for him and 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 we still disagree about that selection, um, <laughs> yeah. which is fine, you know. So, um, and you know, keep saying, you know, selection is just a matter of opinion, isn't it? That's all it is. You know, you go, you go down to the the local pub with uh, 
a group of half a dozen mates and you say pick a team and I guarantee you're not all going to be on the same page. You're all going to be different. So, uh, and that's, that's what it is. But yeah, hit the way, the way he conducted himself afterwards was, was, was superb. Warren, how did you find going back to coaching um, the national side after leading the Lions and were there difficult conversations you had to have with players? I, I never had any difficult conversations. You know, it was it was easy for me. I, I think the fact that with the Welsh boys, it was kind of like I was always honest with them, always straight up. And like I said, um, in terms of selection, there was never any favouritism. Um, put my hand up if you make mistakes and get things wrong. And I think that they, that they respected that. It's kind of like it was always me just trying to be as honest as, as I could and, so it was always it was actually easy going back to the Welsh boys and um, and you know the ones that had been close or the ones that had missed out or or hadn't been selected for for test sides and stuff. And I remember having a conversation with with Dan Bigger in 2017, and you know he'd, he he hadn't been on the bench, but he was brilliant on the tour. He played well, and we went up and said, "Mate, I just I said I think you've been awesome on the tour." And he, you know, I know you haven't had the chance, opportunity. He said, there's two, there's two other good tens, and I'm just, I've tried my hardest, and I've been here, and I'm, thanks for giving me the opportunity to be here. And so, if you have those straight up conversations, that, you know, I think it's easy. You know, you're not trying to hide anything. You're not trying to. Um, I wouldn't have beforehand promised them anything or said they were better than they were, and and. That may that makes it easier afterwards. I think in terms of those, you know, if someone wants to come and have a chat to you and go, you know, how close was I? You know, was I was I in the frame? And I always expect players to be disappointed if they're not selected because if you're not disappointed, then you haven't really backed yourself. You don't believe in yourself, so you, you you've got to do that. And then, and sometimes with some players, the um, the reflection comes, you know, maybe a few years later when you, you get a bit older and a bit mature and the emotion comes out of you, you look back and go, yeah, maybe it was right. Maybe that was the right call. I can see it now from a different perspective. So, um, but no, never had any problem with the Welsh boys. They were, they were always fantastic. And during your time in Wales, you know, you, you achieved all that success, even though perhaps the the regions weren't, you know, kind of weren't winning huge amounts of silverware. Where do you, where do you make of where Welsh rugby is at the moment, Welsh club rugby? Yeah, I think um, it, there's a couple of things that I, I found a challenge in Wales um, over the time that, that I was there. I know that the that the regions are always talking about the amount of money that you know that will make a massive difference. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I said in Wales, and I was there. We were spending five million pound on foreign players. You know, about 30, 30 odd players, and. And my argument to them was that, um, you know, we end up spending money in, in, on journeymen from the Southern Hemisphere who played some super rugby and we're stopping potentially the, the development of some youngsters in our regions and who don't get a chance because we're, we're playing 27, 28-year-olds that have come over and we're, we're paying, you know, a reasonable salary uh, reasonable salary to Um but it's, it's stopping a development. And my big, biggest thing was that I wanted to reduce the number of foreign players. And I said, let's let's spend the £5 million, but let's spend the £5 million on 
10 players or 12 players, you know, two players or three players per region. And let's, let's buy, um, you know, the, the best players we can in the world because I kind of felt that two superstars would make more of a difference than six mediocre average players from, from the Southern Hemisphere. And could never get people to kind of buy into that that concept. And, you know, I just thought that they would make that, that they would make a big difference. So look, it was always a challenge. We were always weren't on on the on the same page in terms of where where we were. Um I'm a great believer in getting all the infrastructure right behind the scenes, forget about the players, get get the best coaches you can, make sure your S and C are right, your nutrition, your medical team, your uh, all the facilities you've got are, are the best and then build a squad around that. And and probably there was a little bit too much focus or potentially has been too much of focus on the squad and the strength of the squad. And I don't I'm not too sure that we've kind of had the right a uh, right approach and about uh, how how we best prepare and, and set up a, a professional team. And I think infrastructure is the the is the most important thing getting some 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 real quality overseas players. Yeah, yeah, I agree with. We want some of those, and they will have such uh, a much more significant impact on our regions if we get the best players in the world that we can get our hands on, rather than sometimes half a dozen, um, um, you know, reasonably, you know, quality, you know, good players, but I wouldn't say world class players. Um, and that's kind of, for me, some of the things that need need to be um, probably addressed going forward about what what's the you know, what what needs to be done in terms of helping the regions be as successful as they possibly can. I tell you, from my point of view, they made my job easier, ironically, um, because. I know that the players from the regions couldn't wait to get in, into our camp, couldn't wait to be with us, couldn't wait to to come into our environment and 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 come in with self belief and confidence about you know hopefully playing in a winning team. And so, but you you want you want it the other way. You want the regions being successful, um, so that the players come into you who come in with with. Uh, teams that have been uh, beating other teams, being successful, they come in with a little bit of a, a spring in the step and a bit of confidence and a, and a little bit of um, you know, you know, a slight bit of I don't know I wouldn't say arrogance, but you know that that, that self belief that they're capable of beating anybody, and um, we didn't always have that. But I'd love to see Welsh rugby get to that that stage, and I think I think everyone working together and putting the right finances together, putting the right structures in terms of identifying the best players for from outside of Wales to support the regions, the right infrastructure, support, best coaches they can get their hands on, I think will make um, a significant difference going forward. Warren, you're now taking on a, a new role covering the Autumn Nations pub for Amazon. What can we expect from Warren Gatland, the pundit? Uh, yeah, hopefully a bit of insight in terms of um, a little bit of the difference between things that I've experienced from a time in the Northern Hemisphere and what's happening in the Southern Hemisphere in terms of the games and the way that things have, are done a little bit differently and the way that, say, Super Rugby's played 
slightly differently and um, potentially what the All Blacks um, as a team have, have maybe learned from the, the the trials and tribulations they've had in the last um, number of games and perhaps got themselves on you know back on track and how that's going to impact and um, yeah and then some you know people get from me some you know hopefully some insight and some honesty you know that's um, you ask me a question um, and I'll be as honest as I can give an opinion uh, I don't expect people to agree with me all the time and I'm, I'm 100% okay with that you know because the great thing about the game is that you know the differences of opinion and and having been honest and open debate and experiences in Wales, you know, taught me a lot about that, just how knowledgeable uh, the Welsh are of the game, but also how opinionated they are as well. And, that's, and I love that. I think it's brilliant, you know, and I don't want people to agree with me and yeah. I'm quite, I'm, I'm comfortable with them having, having different opinions, but because that's healthy and that's what, that's what you want in the game. You want people being excited about, um, you know, things being, things potentially being done differently and, you know, healthy debate is is always great. How much how much attention, if any, did you pay to pundits when you were when you were coaching Wales? Didn't. Um, oh look, I think you um, you hear a lot of what's going on. You know, hear yeah, hear some stuff. I I don't. I wasn't a great um, reader in terms of going and reading everything in the in newspapers and finding out what everyone was saying. But you, you you hear that. There are other coaches who religiously read everything. And um so but yeah, so didn't uh yeah you know what's going on and you, and you know the mood of the nation or the mood of of some individuals that you that you respect. Uh, and again like I said you might not always agree with them, but you you know you definitely you take a notice of what what people have to say, and particularly people who've been around for a while and people that you respect. Warren, you're heading back to Wales for a, a tour entitled "An Evening with Warren Gatland." What can we? What's what's this going to be about? Yeah, just some hopefully some great stories about my time in Wales. Yeah. Um, Loved loved my time. I wouldn't have stayed probably probably a couple of things. I wouldn't have stayed as long as as I did. One obviously we were being you know reasonably successful. I had the chances to sort of have a couple of sabbaticals with the Lions and sort of refresh myself. But I, I think the third thing is the, the most important thing was the people. You know, I just loved my time there. I thought the hospitality, the welcome that I had from from the Welsh. Um, Kind of really similar to a lot of experiences I had in New Zealand, and, and in terms of rugby clubs and meeting people, and just kind of just how just just how welcoming they were, and just honest, and um, just down to earth. I kind of just made me feel at home, and I, and I I like that. Made some great friends, and love love my time there. And I know my family did, and every time they came over and and did that, and um, so yeah, I wouldn't have wouldn't have stayed as long as I did um, without those sort of experiences. So, you know, hopefully people can, um, you know, hear some of the stories and time there um, in terms of some of the players that I came across, maybe the Andy Powells and those sorts of things. <laughs> and, uh, some of my time there and yeah, um, 
and yeah, and being just just being as honest as I can, as as I've always um, tried to be. You know, there's no, I'm not, you know, not being pretentious. I know I've, in the past I've thrown a couple of grenades out there and and upset a couple of people, and but it was always in, in the best interest of the team and and Welsh rugby and protecting the players as as much as I could. So yeah, looking forward to that. I think we're in Swansea on the. Uh, 6th of November as well so yes Swansea Grand uh, then Aberystwyth Centre on the 8th Uh, Venue Cymru in Llandudno on the 14th and uh, Cardiff St David's Hall on the 16th and if you want to get tickets there's a link on our Twitter page as well to to send you straight through if you you fancy joining Warren at any of those dates yeah no I think uh, you know hopefully hopefully have a great night and the thing with me is that you know just hopefully you give it a bit of an insight and uh um, often I get asked you know, things like, "Oh, you know, you always people have this sort of um, impression of me from the outside, and I, I never try and change it because, you know, I'm just seen as being this sort of almost like uh, unemotional, um, sort of non-friendly, serious person, and that's kind of the perception that people think, oh, that's what that they like, and I'm comfortable with that." And all of a sudden, when people get a bit closer to me and see, and they go, "Oh my God, you're not like that at all, are you? You actually, you actually can have a bit of a fun. You're a bit, you know, you can have a joke and laugh and whatever." And I go, "Yeah, but we didn't know you like that." And I said, "Yeah, that's fine. I don't mind those things. So hopefully, you, know, you come to see, come and see that. You'll see another side of me that maybe you might not have expected." Yeah, I remember going to the. Um, there was a, a fundraiser before the the start of the 2017 tour in uh, in Battersea, I think it was, um, and I remember being quite surprised actually. Um, I, I think you came on and did some did some stuff about the uh, about the the all black jersey making you grow a few inches. Um, some, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on that line. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah. It was really really good uh, really good value. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's kind of like. Um, and I just laugh about it because my kids go, Dad, the people think you're just so serious and they don't know what you're like. And I go, no, they don't, but it doesn't bother me, you know, and it kind of so, um, yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, like you, you, you're there in a game and and people say, oh, you, you don't show any emotion in the box and that. Well, if, you had, if you'd seen me 30 seconds before while the play's going on, you know, I'm not there, I'm like, ah! You know, you're a bit emotional as anything. And by the time the camera comes back to you, you just you pan face and you, the emotions all gone. And you're thinking about someone else. So, um, yeah. So I think you know, hopefully, um, you know, people will enjoy the night, get something a bit special. Uh, I'll be honest, and you know, hopefully, get a bit of an insight into Welsh rugby and my experience and my time in Wales. Yeah, sounds fantastic, and we're both really looking forward to it, aren't we? Um, Warren, you've been back in New Zealand for a couple of years. Do you see a coaching future close to home or is there an appetite to head abroad for your next challenge? Um, um, I can tell you that I've always been a great believer in uh, what will be will be. I've never, I've never kind of planned out my, my coaching and, and the teams that I've wanted to coach. They've just happened um, as a result of, what I've done in the game. So at the moment I'm contracted to the New Zealand Rugby Union until um, up until about the World Cup next year. Um, 
so I haven't I haven't spoken to them about whether they want me to stay on and um, my role with the Chiefs. Um, and I've had you know a couple two or three approaches um, without without looking um, from people outside of New Zealand ask, asking if I'm interested, you know, potentially um, next year or after the World Cup in terms of looking at something else. So those are just all preliminary at the moment. Uh, like I said, I'm not actively looking and the right thing will come come along that will sort of float my boat and, um, and you know, I might look to um, person, you know, in terms of pursue a little bit uh, more in, in terms of that. So, yeah, I'm just, like I said, happy with what I'm doing at the moment. love my time back in New Zealand. Learned a, learned a lot. And it's, been, it's been good for me and it's been, I think it's been really good for New Zealand. And people say, you know, that what's happened with New Zealand rugby with the All Blacks in terms of probably being, losing that series to Ireland and losing to Argentina and then South Africa and not being there. Yeah, I, I think it's actually what New Zealand rugby needed. You know, I think we got a little bit too insular. Uh, teams became clones of each other, weren't looking uh, outwardly in terms of um, what was happening overseas. And I found that a little bit frustrating when I first came back um, after the World Cup in 2019, sort of saying, oh, you know, what about this? And have you thought about this? And it was kind of like, oh, that's not how we do it. We don't we don't do it like that. Um and there was a little bit of reluctance in terms of, you know, and I can understand that because New Zealand rugby you know, had been so successful over a, a number of years. And then probably the last 12 months, I've just seen the players, you know, completely change and being much more receptive to um, other ideas and, and some of the things that have been, some of the good things that have been happening in the Northern Hemisphere in the game. And and I think that's a real positive for uh, New Zealand rugby that they're starting to look outwardly rather than you know being so insular in, in terms of um, you know what's been successful and for them in, in the past and and probably probably one of the strengths of New Zealand rugby is their ability and the, and they've always been able to change and change quickly. So in the next twelve months will be really interesting to see you know what they take away from looking at other teams, what they implement into their own stuff because they've always been reticent and a little bit reluctant to do that. And, you know, they've always looked, uh, like I said, internally and, and and back themselves. But, you know, they're definitely starting to look a bit, bit more outwardly um, going forward. Well, there's always uh, there's always a job on here as well if you fancy joining us every week. <laughs> <laughs> it's no good, but we can sort you out with some free coffee. So um, <laughs> bear, bear that one in mind, Rory. Um, just a couple of questions to finish. If you were still in your old your old role with Wales, which of the current crop of you know, I guess the new crop of players, would you be most excited about coaching? Oh, um, Dan Lydia, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Get the band back together one more time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was great. Yeah, like it's good to see that he's back and fit and been involved. Um, boy, Dewey Lake looks um, pretty pretty special as a hooker and looks pretty exciting. Um, great to see. Um, I've been. I took took him a little bit of time. Will Rollins has really impressed me in terms of the way he's developed. You know. Coming from Wasps, big reputation, you drag it took just took a little bit of time, I think, for international rugby. He's definitely had a great year last year and, and, and things. And 
And you, there's a million loose forwards you can pick, isn't there? Yeah. Try and you know, trying to pick that combination for for the looses. Some of the the quality, you know, for someone like uh, Thomas Young, who's playing really well at the moment. Morgan, you know, that, that's that's and those are the guys, you know, for getting the established guys as well. So, a um, couple of good nines, a couple of good nines around as well. So. Um, yeah, so there's some 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 talented youngsters and mixed them with um, hopefully some some real good um, experienced players that if, if they can get fit, you know the George Norths and and, and the likes and um, yeah, and I like to see players like Owen Watkins sort of um, and get getting opportunities, fit and stuff and things, and great to see Keelan Giles back playing. Um, yeah, so if they can get those. A lot of those players, some of those youngsters coming through with um, with um, some of those older, experienced players, and you know, that's my message to the regions: don't don't buy average Super Rugby players. You know, invest in the youth and spend your money on the on the quality and spend lots of money on on world class. It's it's amazing actually. You mentioned in the loose forwards because you know you think back to your first your first campaign in charge and. Getting Martin Williams out of retirement to, to play seven, like you, you couldn't have foreseen that that so many so many quality open side flankers would would come through over the next ten years. Yeah, we look at someone like Riffle. You know, he was great. Um, there's criticism about his selection. Uh, justify that um, it was Jack Morgan, you know, Morgan being left out and stuff, and you know. Um, yeah, you can go with any number of combinations, I think, and there's there's some there's some real quality there, and and which is great, you know, it's it's fantastic to have that, have that position and have that much competition because you've got to, um, you know, one of the things that I'll be saying to those those loose forwards and there's there's so many of them is that you've got to think of, you've got to find something that's a point of difference, you know, what's your point of difference, and for a couple of them it's turnover and breakdown, but you know, is it is it adding your line out to it? Is it, is it your ball carrying? Is it your offloading? You got to find you got to find a point of difference to bring something that's that makes you want to be you know that for the for the selectors or the coach to to say actually you, you can you can make that difference to us in the squad and um, yeah, so they've got they've got some players there that uh, are pretty exciting, but. Uh, that, I talk about that with the loose forwards, but for every player, you've got to find a point of difference. Um, you know, particularly if you're in, in, a, in a lot of competition with someone in your position. Warren, if you could go back in time to October 2007, when you became head coach of Wales, would you do it all again? Um, I would. Yeah, I, I would. I can remember sitting in a uh, a hotel in London. I had a they had the contract in front of me, and with a, there was an agent there. And uh, I was saying to myself, well, "What the hell am I doing going to Wales? They were useless in the World Cup. <laughs> uh, am, I, am I making the right decision here?" And my and my daughter rang me from New Zealand, she, and she and she, you know, she was about twelve at the time. She said, "Dad, don't do it. Don't go." <laughs> Okay, I hung up the phone. Then about twenty minutes later, I said, "Oh, Dad, no! If you want to do it, you know that, that, that'll be fine." And 
And there was a moment there and my heart was pounding and I was going, what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? And I was just about going to get up and walk out. And I said, no, no, I, I, I think this is the right decision. I think we've got something to work with and we can make a difference and you know, end up signing the contract. And, uh, yeah, I do it all over again. Yeah. You know, there was trepidation at the start. Um, but I said, yeah, it was, it was a roller coaster and, you know, you had some, some ups and downs, but, Definitely more ups and downs, and uh, like I said, love my time, love the people there. A uh, special place in my heart in my time in Wales, and you know I can't thank the people there enough for um, the support that I was given. Um, like I said I know a lot of people there you know, disagree with and challenge me on, on a number of things. Absolutely fine, no problem with that, and continue to do that. Um, but I'm pretty proud of what we achieved, and you know, particularly in the Six Nations. You know, I think we had a 70 odd percent success rate and win record in terms of over that over that time, which is pretty special. And um, yeah, and we should we should look back fondly and say it was a you know it was a pretty pretty memorable time. And and Welsh rugby, and I, th- I think for me it was kind of like knowing that you know, particularly in the Six Nations, you you win a Six Nations game or you win a title, and you know that. You know, you're making a lot of people happy, and you know, putting a smile on people's faces, and and what it meant to the nation in terms of that, and how important uh, winning the Six Nations game was, and kind of that's, you know, I took a lot from that. Yeah, well, I'm so so glad you did sign that contract. Listening to, <laughs> and yeah, Warren, just you know, huge thank you for uh, you know for everything you've done. You you have brought so much joy. Yeah. So much joy to uh, to us all. Yeah. There's no and, doubt about that. And if you find yourself in a hotel in London with an RFU contract in front of you, it'll be, it'll be me on the front. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be allowed to cross the bridge, I think. I'll be getting... <laughs> That's it. The Gatlin Gates might have to be renamed after that. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be the first thing we pulled down, I think, the next day. <laughs> Warren, it's been fantastic. Uh, yeah. speaking, thank you so much for your time. Um, and yeah, if you want to, if you want more from Warren, then then check out the link on our um, on our Twitter page and get yourself some tickets to uh, to any of those four venues. But yeah, Warren Gatlin, thank you so much for joining the Attacking Scrum. Cheers, James and Dan. Thank you so much, and great chatting to you guys. Podcast Network.